So this morning, I'm excited to share with you as we continue in this series, Above Every Other, as we look at the names of God. And, and I just wanna say as we begin this morning again that the whole point of this is that you would have a deeper knowledge of God personally, not just a theoretical knowledge, a theological knowledge, that's important, but that it would be more about your personal relationship with him, that ultimately it would lead you to a greater sense of love for God. So each week, as we look at the various names of God, we're understanding more detail about his character, about what God has revealed to us about himself, because he very specifically uses his names and has used his names throughout the history of the Old Testament to share with people who he is and what he's like. There's a, a favorite Psalm of mine, Psalm 9, uh, verse 10 says this, those who know your name trust in you. That's so simple, but that's the truth of it. As we know God, as we understand his name and the nuances and the details of his character that he reveals to us through his name, it, cre our, it increases our confidence in him. It gives us a greater sense of trust in him and a greater sense of love for him. And so that is the goal of all that we're doing. We talked about that last Sunday, about knowing God, the importance of really taking our knowledge about God into the presence of God to work out as we struggle with our faith, to, to really work out who God is, to know him personally. Um, so you remember last week, we talked about these two basic names of God. First, the name Elohim, which means powerful, supreme, and sovereign. And then we talked about Yahweh, which means self-existent. He said to Moses, I am that I am. A self-existent, personal, and present. And you take those two ideas, the idea of Elohim and the idea of Yahweh, and together they communicate both the transcendence of God, the parts of God and the parts of his character that are really kind of beyond our understanding. We, we accept them by faith, but we don't know anybody else who is transcendent like God. We don't know anybody else as powerful as God or as uh, creative as God as sovereign as God or as supreme as God. And then it comes to Yahweh and you see how personal, how he interacts with people all throughout the Bible. And so these two ideas in, encapsulate the ideas of his transcendence and yet his eminence, his closeness to us. So I hope this week, maybe you had a chance to go back with your family and look at create the creation story in Genesis one and two and see how God uh, uses those two names of his to show the different sides of his character. Maybe you went to Psalm 19 as I suggested, and you can kind of see from your study of Psalm 19, those two aspects of God's character. But I ended last week by simply saying that these two basic names are really going to serve as the root names for a lot of other names that God is going to add on to those. So for example, today we're gonna to look at a couple of names and, and each week we'll be looking at names that, that start with L or start with Yahweh and have a different name added on to them to reveal more and more of God's character. So I hope that as we do that, as we move through these different names of God, as we study the different names, that you will begin to understand more detail about God's character. Uh, what I wanna encourage you to do, if you haven't already started doing this, is to take some notes and to actually create some way graphically or visually for yourself where you can maybe list on one side of a piece of paper uh, the names of God and then over on the other side, the descriptions, that what the various names mean and just fill that in each week as we go along. And maybe some of you are very artistic and creative. Maybe you can even think of some ways to graphically present that in a way that helps you remember it, in a way that helps it become part of who you are. One of the things that you're gonna walk away with if you'll do that, and if you'll do that with your kids even, is you're gonna walk away with a biblical portrait of God, something, a tool that you can use every time that you go to sit, sit down with the Lord, to be with the Lord, to spend time alone with him, to be able to say, who is the Lord? 
you know, he's right here with me, but who is he? Well, he's these things that he's described himself as. He's all these characteristics. And that helps you get a clearer view of really who God is. It helps you do what I talked about last week when I quoted Charles Spurgeon, where he said that its purpose, this idea of meditating on God, of thinking about who God is, is to clear our mind, to clear our spiritual vision of God. In other words, to clear away the wrong ideas that we have about God and actually see him as he has revealed himself to be so that that truth can make its full and proper impact on our mind and on our heart. And so that's what I would encourage you to do. And I would even say, as you're doing that, to include your children in that, you may end up with something that you want to actually put in your home somewhere to display so that your kids and yourself can be reminded of the various characteristics that we learn about God through his names. And I will say this, for me, writing those things down, manually, physically, actually writing those things down helps me remember. It's kind of a form of journaling. And over the years, I have folders and folders full of things that I've written down and I draw arrows and I I visually kind of present it to myself so that I have a a remembrance of it without having to even go back and look at that. So I would encourage you to do that. And as you do that, let me encourage you to share your ideas, things you're doing on social media, because what you're doing may encourage some other family or maybe you're one who doesn't even know the Lord yet. Maybe that would encourage them to be curious enough to go, well, I want to know more about the Lord. I want to know about his names too. So I encourage you to do that. And then the other thing that writing those things down will help you do is it'll help you uh, keep those truths from just becoming discoveries. We talk about at Moberly all the time that our discipleship process is discovering truth, owning truth, and then leading with that truth, taking that truth into your life in a way that it not only transforms you, but it actually has an impact on someone else. And if you're writing those things down and you're, you're journaling those things, you're going to move from discovery into ownership a lot quicker with those truths. As you make those realizations about God and you, and you apply them by faith to who you're praying to, the God of the universe, the God who is most high, as we're going to look at today, you're going to have greater clarity and greater understanding of who he is. And then, and then what will happen is those truths will impact your life in dramatic ways and it will ultimately affect how you influence other people. So let me encourage you to write those things down. Now, this past week, we relaunched the podcast, the Extra Point Podcast, and I asked Greg Martin to join me on that podcast. And at the end of the podcast, Greg and I were asking each other essentially the same question, which was, how has knowing God personally impacted your life? And Greg, um, I think, just said something very profound. He said this, he said, knowing God for him personally had allowed him to not be ruled in life by his emotions. All of us experience a lot of different kinds of emotions. And sometimes we allow our emotions to tell us what to believe about things. And that's usually not a good idea, but that's naturally what we do, even when it comes to God. If we experience tragedy or we experience fear, anxiety, or some other emotion, then we tend to believe a certain thing about God that may or may not be true. But once you know God, once you know how he's revealed himself to be, then the truth of God's character can actually inform even your emotions. It can inform everything about the way that you live so that then your emotions are underneath the truth about God versus the other way around. So I think it's a great idea for us to think about that. To know God is to allow him to permeate every part of our life, including our emotions, and to not be ruled by our emotions. So I hope as we begin to study these names of God that God is stirring in you a desire to know him better, something that's more rich than just simply going through the motions of Christianity. For a lot of us, Christianity can become a routine. 
we have our quiet time, maybe we open our Bible and read a passage or we get a devotional book out or we listen to something on the radio and, and we think that all these little things that we're doing are gonna add up to really creating a lot of meaning in our lives. And we find often, if we're very honest, that that's not enough, that it simply becomes empty sometimes when we just go through the motions of the routine of being a Christian. And knowing God is so much more about intimacy with God. It's about real, a real relationship that creates intimacy with the God of the universe, the God who created everything. And it, it elevates us to a height in our life, to a place of meaning that just going through the motions will never do. So I hope that God is stirring in you, even beginning last week, this desire to really press in, to know him in a more intimate and personal way. So this morning, I wanna share two more names with you. Each week, I plan to do that. And so this week, I wanna share with you a couple of names, and one is the name El Elyon. So think about that for just a minute. El is the root word for Elohim, which means powerful, supreme, and sovereign. And then this idea of Elyon, which is most high. In fact, it literally means above high. So whatever you picture or think of as high, it's above that. It's the most high. There's nothing higher. That's the idea that El Elyon communicates, that God is the most high. There's no one above him. There's no authority above him. There's no one or no thing above him. He is the highest. And that's what it communicates. So he's powerful. He's supreme. He's sovereign. He's above every other. That's where we sort of got the name for this series, above every other. God is above every other. So I want to take you to the Bible now and look at some context for where that name first appeared in our Bibles and then how it was used in order to communicate through different situations and, and interactions with people, how God revealed himself to be the most high. So in Genesis chapter 14, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. It's a, it's a story where Abraham uh, basically was going to help free his nephew Lot. Some foreign kings had come into Sodom and they had captured Lot and several other people and they had taken their possessions and Abram went with some other mighty men of God and they went and they conquered these foreign kings and they brought Lot back and they brought the possessions back and returned him to the king of Sodom. And, um, and then the priest Melchizedek comes onto the scene. And so we read about him in the book of Hebrews, but this is the first time that you ever hear about him. And he's called the priest of Salem. And even in your Bible, in, in Genesis 14, it talks about he's the priest of the most high. He's the priest of El Elyon. So he's the priest of the most high God. So because Abram was successful and victorious over these enemies, uh, Melchizedek wants to present an offering, a sacrifice to El Elyon for the victory that he's allowed Abram to have. And so in chapter, 19, or chapter 14, verse 19 of Genesis, this is what it says. He, being Melchizedek, blessed him, Abram, and said, Abram is blessed by God most high, or El Elyon, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be El Elyon, God most high, who has handed over your enemies to you. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That God gave Abram the victory. And that's so true all the way through the Old Testament. As you see, uh, the people of God often seem outnumbered. They often seem like they have less resources, less power, uh, less military might. And yet, because God most high is on their side, they have everything and more than they need. I think about when I first went to Africa, I got to go to Africa the first time in 2008 and take some students. And in preparation for that, preparing students to go to Africa, we were told that we would be going out into villages and actually speaking to people who in, in many cases had never read a Bible, who, who didn't have any familiarity with the Bible, who 
in a lot of cases, it has never, in a lot of cases, had never seen someone from America. They'd never witnessed or encountered anyone from any outside of their village necessarily. And so we began to think about how do you communicate to someone who has no understanding of the Bible, how do you communicate to them who God is? Especially when they believe in a lot of gods, small g, they believe in all kinds of gods. So how do you distinguish for them the difference between the God of the Bible and the gods that they believe in? Well, one of the ways is to talk about that God is the God of, of creation. God is Elohim, but God's not just Elohim. God is El Elyon. God is the most high God. You may believe in a lot of little gods, but that's just it. They're, they're false gods because they're not the one true God. They're not the most high God. So as we thought about that, we would talk about that and, and try to think about how to communicate that. Well, communicating that God was the most high God was a very powerful way to communicate with these folks. And so um, that's kind of how God communicates all the way through the Old Testament. He talks about in many situations, in many passages, how he's higher than all human authority and power. So for example, in Psalm two, verses one through five, it says this, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. They say, let's tear off their chains and throw off their ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. He speaks to them in anger and terrifies them in his wrath. It's a picture of people who think that they have so much power and authority. And it, all you have to do is look around the world today and you, it's not hard to spot someone who believes that about the particular position they're in politically, uh, where they serve in the government maybe, and the power that they hold or the power they hold over so many people. And yet compare that to El Elyon, compare that to the God who is most high. And the Bible says they have very little power. They really have no power compared to him and who he is. And then in Isaiah 40, it says this, God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants, I love this, are like grasshoppers. <laughs> he stretches out the heavens like thin cloth and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He reduces princes to nothing and makes judges of the earth like a wasteland. How does he do that? Because he's El Elyon. He's the most high God. And when you compare a human being to a grasshopper in terms of power, strength, knowledge, anything, then the comparison is silly because what kind of power does a grasshopper have against a human being? Well, when you compare the rulers and princes and judges of the earth to your great God, what kind of power do people have compared to the El Elyon, to God who is most high? It's, it's a funny comparison, but it helps you understand that people have no power compared to God's amazing power. So let me share something with you, another idea that you can do as a family this week. You can take a Psalm like Psalm 91, which is an excellent Psalm and actually talks about El Elyon. It uses the name of God, El Elyon. And you can go through that Psalm this week with your family and just point out the ways, the descriptions that are there as it describes God in his great power and his great majesty and his sovereignty and his supremacy as it describes him as the most high God. So that's a great thing for you to do. Um, one of the things I wanna do with you this week as well on the podcast that'll be coming out on Tuesday is Pastor Jeffrey and I are gonna sit down and talk about some other places in scripture that you can study with your family to see God's supremacy, to see God as El Elyon and what that means in your life. And so I would encourage you to do that. One of the places in scripture that talks about this idea of God being supreme, this God of being the God who's most high is in Daniel. And you'll remember in Daniel chapter three, that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, 
had come into Israel. He had captured all the people and taken them into captivity and removed them from everything they were familiar with, all their traditions, their religious uh, traditions and all those kinds of things, taken them to a foreign land, Babylon, and given them new names and totally changed everything about their lives. And he had a lot of power. They obviously could recognize that because he came in and just laid waste to Jerusalem. And so so here's this king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and he sets up this golden image in, in Daniel chapter three and commands that people bow down and worship it. Well, the three men that you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse to bow down and worship. And so they're brought before Nebuchadnezzar and he tells them, I'm gonna give you one more chance. And of course, he plays the music, they're supposed to bow down and they don't. And so he has them thrown into this furnace. And then after a while, he comes and observes that they're in the furnace uh, them and a fourth person who we believe was Jesus Christ with them in that furnace, but they're not touched by the fire. They're not harmed. He, he pulls them out of the fire. He can't believe what he sees. Their, their skin's not burned. Their hair's not burned. Their clothes are not burned and don't even smell like fire. And so as a result of that, he says this in Daniel chapter four, this is Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, after having witnessed this, he says to every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, May your prosperity increase. I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders of El Elyon. He uses that name, the most high God and what he's done for me. How great are his miracles, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. So Nebuchadnezzar has said a lot here about God, but what he said is, God has done miracles because God is the true God. God is above every other small g God. And his dominion, his power, his kingdom, his rule, it lasts from generation to generation. It's everlasting. It doesn't go away. It doesn't end. He goes on to say in chapter four, later in his life, he says this, then I praised El Elyon, again, the most high God, and honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now, why is that? Why can no one block his hand and no one scold him or correct him for anything that he does? because there's no one above him, because he has no equal. We sing that a lot. He has no rival. There's no one above him. God is El Elyon. He is the most high. And so later in the book of Daniel, you'll see Daniel speaking not only to Nebuchadnezzar, but also to Belshazzar, the next king of Babylon. And he is telling these men things that they don't necessarily wanna hear, but he speaks for the most high God. And so because he represents the most high God, he's unafraid of everyone who is below God, including kings who had the ability to exercise great power over him. But his belief and understanding about who God is through his name gave him courage and confidence to stand against even the most powerful people of his day. So I want you to remember the words of Psalm 9, verse 10. Those who know your name trust in you. Once you know the names of God, it's easy to trust in him. It's easy to put your full confidence and faith in him. So let me just stop and ask you right here, what is it that you're afraid of today? There's a lot going on in our lives. Uh, the, the most high God, your belief in him, doesn't it have some impact and effect on your faith? I mean, he's the highest judge, the highest authority, I would say in the universe, but he even exceeds that in existence. 
He's the greatest God ever. So, so whatever you're afraid of today, it's below him. Whatever you struggle with is less than him. And, and whatever you worry about today is underneath him. He is above all. He has, he has great power. And that's why Paul could say in Romans 8.31, if God is for me, who can be against me? Well, you can say, well, there's a lot of people that are against me. There are a lot of things that are against me. I have an enemy, Satan, who's against me. Yeah, but every one of those is well under the most high God. So, so that's the first name that I want you to grab a hold of today is the name El Elyon, God who is most high. The second name that I wanna share with you today is the name Yahweh Shalom. Yahweh Shalom. Now you may be familiar with the word Shalom because it's a word that we even use quite a bit in our, in our language and it's, it means peace. And so Yahweh Shalom means God, self-existent, personal and present God is our peace. And that, that was revealed to us uh, in the book of Judges for the first time. And in Judges 6, what you see is, just to give you a little context, is you see that the people of Israel have rebelled against God. They've done things that are evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord said, I'm gonna unleash the Midianites on you, uh, basically to discipline you, to get you to a place where you're desperate enough to turn back to me and realize that you need me, the most high God in your life. And so for several years, the Midianites were terrorizing the Israelites and they would come in and they destroyed their crops and they destroyed their livestock to the point that it says the Israelites would, were hidden up in caves and mountains just to get away from the Midianites. And so one day Gideon is a man who is just an average guy. He is basically threshing wheat on a, in, a, in a wine press because he's trying to hide what he's doing in case someone from the Midianites come by and try to steal his wheat or destroy it or whatever. And an angel of the Lord appears to him. And the angel of the Lord says, Gideon, you are a valiant warrior. And I love that because how many times in scripture does the Lord speak into somebody's life and identify them as something that they would never identify themselves as? And it's, it's true in your life and my life as well. And so Gideon goes, valiant warrior? No, 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 you don't, you don't understand. I'm part of the tribe of Manasseh. I'm, I'm, we're part of the weakest tribe of Manasseh. And he said, I'm the youngest in my family. So, right, I mean, who am I? I'm nobody. I'm just a regular guy out here. And he says, no, 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 you're a valiant warrior. The angel of the Lord says, because the Lord is with you. And I want you, I'm sending you to defeat the Midianites. Can you imagine? Just a regular guy and God says, I've chosen you. I've chosen you for this huge task, this amazingly important thing that you're gonna do. And so Gideon goes and he, he, he gets some food, he prepares it and he offers it to the angel. And the angel actually ignites it, it becomes a fire, it becomes a sacrifice. And then the angel disappears. And Gideon realizes in that moment that he was with the Lord. And he, and he goes, oh my goodness, I was with the Lord. Now I'm gonna die because I've seen the Lord. And so this is what it says in verse 23 of chapter six of Judges. It says, the Lord Yahweh, that's the name that's used for, for God here, for the Lord. Yahweh said to him, peace to you. Don't be afraid for you will not die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it Yahweh is peace or Yahweh Shalom. That's where we get the name Yahweh Shalom. God is peace. And so Gideon was reassured that the Lord, Yahweh, self-existent, very personal, and obviously present in his life, was not there to destroy him, but actually to bring him peace in the midst of an incredibly trying time. So, so think about that. The psalmist talks about this in Psalm 4, 8. It says, I will both lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, Yahweh, make me live in safety. We know that when the angels appeared to the shepherds, when they announced the birth of Jesus, that they said to the shepherds, peace on earth. 
The Lord is peace. And then Isaiah 26, three says this, you will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace for it trusts or it's entrusting in you. And so the idea is that God wants peace for every one of us, that God himself is peace. And remember those who know the name of the Lord will trust in him. In other words, they'll have peace. They'll have confidence. So he wants you, whatever you're going through today, to have peace in your life as well. The Israelites didn't have any peace. In fact, they were constantly in fear of their lives from the Midianites. They, it was into this situation that God said, I'm gonna bring peace. I'm promising you that I will be with you and I'm gonna bring you peace because I am peace. So in the scariest times of their life, when they're facing their greatest adversary, God says, I'm gonna bring you peace because I'm Yahweh Shalom. So in the most desperate times, God is there to bring his peace to them. So how can you, how can you have peace in the middle of a pandemic? Some of you have been sheltering in place now for weeks with your family. And you know what I, what I believe probably is happening as I, as I do some research around is that people are, are not at peace in their families right now. They've been together so much that in, in many cases, there's some conflict, there's some unresolved things that have been happening and there's actually some, um, some angst toward each other probably. And there's not great peace in every home right now, maybe. And even those of us who know the Lord, you may be experiencing that. And you say, how can I have peace in the midst of being with my family all day long? Or, or how can they have peace when they've been with me all day long in our home? And so you may be experiencing some of that, or it could be something much, much greater, much worse in your life. The diagnosis of a loved one that's, that's scary to you, that, that you think, how can I have peace when a loved one has been diagnosed with something that's so scary or, or something else. Well, I wanna show you that these two names actually complement each other, like every characteristic of God. They don't compete in any way because only God who is El Elyon, who is most high, can actually bring you peace because he's above everything that threatens your peace. He's in control, he's in charge, he has authority over everything that threatens your peace. He alone can guarantee your peace because there's no one above him to tell him that he can't. So because he's the most high God and because he wants peace for you and me, he's able to bring peace into our life. Even if we're struggling in our marriage or even if our business is falling apart right now, he still is able to bring us peace into his life because everything that threatens us is under him. So in this anxious time, Go back and think about what Greg Martin said just a minute ago. You could be ruled by your emotions right now. All of us could be, or you could let the truth of who God is just through the four names that we've revealed to this point, you could let the truth of that invade your life and have its full impact as Spurgeon said on your heart and mind in a way that would rule over even the tough things that you're going through in your life right now. I wanna encourage you during this time in your life, again, to draw near to the Lord, to draw near. Maybe this afternoon, even after church is over and you guys have eaten together as a family, maybe you could take some time and, and get somewhere else in your house or go outside and just, just take these four truths about God, Elohim, Yahweh, Yahweh Shalom, El Elyon, these four names of God and just meditate on them. Like, like Spurgeon said, just think on them, holy thought where you, you go over them and over them until they are not just ideas out there, but they're conclusions in your heart about who God is. Let the full truth of those things have their impact on you. Meditate on him. Take the time to do that because as you do that,
the Bible says he will draw near to you. In James 4, 8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And you will know him more personally, more intimately. Well, some of you that are watching this morning, you don't have peace with God and you know that. You want that, you desire to have peace with God, but currently you don't really have peace with God. And you wonder how that could be. How can I have that? Because everyone knows about our lives that we've sinned against God. I have sinned against the most high God. That's a pretty scary thought. I've offended him. Every one of us have. The Bible says that we've made ourselves enemies of God by the sin in our life. We've separated ourselves from him, but that he demonstrated his love for us and that while we're still sinners, he sent Christ to die for us, to actually come into our lives and pay the penalty for each of our sin. And that's what Jesus promises to do. The Bible says, speaking of the names of God, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's salvation in no one else. Acts 4.12 says that. Only Jesus, Jesus himself said about himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father unless they come through me. So there's no other religion that will get you to God. You say, well, that's so offensive to say that. That's so exclusive. I didn't say that. Jesus, who I follow, who many of you follow said that, but if you've never put your trust in him, then today you could do that. Today you could simply say to him, I want you to come into my life and save me, to forgive me for the ways that I've offended God and give me an eternal relationship with God because that's I realize now it's what I was created for. I realize that's what God wants from me and that that is what eternal life is all about is knowing God. But I know I can't have that with this barrier between me and God, the sin in my life. And so this morning, I would like to lead you in a time of calling on the name of the Lord. The Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you could do that right where you are right now. So if that's you and you would say, I don't want, I don't want sin in my life anymore. I wanna turn my, my back to my sin and I need Jesus in my life and I realize that now and I want him to save me. Well, let me just lead you in a time of calling on the name of the Lord. There's no magic words to say. It's simply a matter of expressing to him that you believe he's who he said he is, that he rose from the dead, that he's the savior of the world and that he can save you. And then you're putting your trust in him wholeheartedly, only in him to say, it's you and nobody else, Jesus. You are the savior of the world. You are the only way. So I'm gonna put my trust in you. So if you wanna do that right now, I'm gonna lead you in a simple way of calling on the name of the Lord. You can just say this to the Lord right now. Dear God in heaven, most high God, <laughs> I want to know you. I wanna have a personal relationship with you, but I know I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. I wanna ask you to forgive me of every sin, of, of everything that I've ever said, done or thought that offends you. I believe in Jesus Christ and I want him to come into my life and save me now. So thank you for being faithful. Thank you for saving me right now. Help me now to tell someone to be bold and express the joy that you've brought into my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed to receive Christ, the good news is the Lord came into your life. The Bible says when someone gives their life to Christ, that all the angels in heaven above rejoice. And so we would love to rejoice with you. Your next step, I think, is to tell somebody about your decision to trust Christ today. And you can do that by contacting the person who sent you this link, a friend who's been praying for you, or you can also text Next Step One to 555 888 and someone from our church will get in touch with you and help you know how to take your next steps. That's a really important thing. So I wanna encourage you to do that. Your next step may be baptism. 
uh, or connecting with a group of people here at our church in a connect group. There are a lot of people right now who are enjoying meeting by Zoom so that they can stay connected with one another. And uh, you may have an interest in doing that. We would very much like to see you do that. So uh, I'm just excited for you and your new step of faith this morning. And just thank you for tuning in.